Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about reporting and ministry. Uh, But before we jump into that topic, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. You know, week after week, I tell you a little bit more about PeaceWorks University. It's our online membership community, and it is your best next step if you have been benefiting uh, from what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast. It has a vault of past material, organized, ready for you to consume to help you have a more gospel-centered approach to domestic abuse prevention and intervention. We'd love to see you be part of the community. It's rich and it's a bunch of great people who are learning together. And you can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. Okay, on today's episode, uh, we're going to revisit a topic. And it's worth revisiting because um, there seems to be a need for added clarity or discussion uh, regarding reporting. And uh, the question goes something like this, uh, why don't you recommend automatically reporting intimate partner violence to the authorities upon receiving a disclosure? It's, it's really confusing to some folks, and I, I don't want to just make a sweeping assumption about who's asking the question, but I will, I will pose, I guess an assumption is the right word, I, my experience having heard this question multiple times is that some of the folks who have the biggest, greatest difficulty are male people helpers uh, who in particular pastors and ministry leaders. And so in the context that I most often hear this question in person is in working with a church or a ministry who is balancing liability with um, the desire to help. And I'm not saying that everyone is just uh, thinking about their liability or uh, avoiding litigation. That's, that's not what I'm implying. But I do think there is a responsibility that some leaders come to the table with. It's like, well, we don't want to make the wrong decision and thus uh, you know, be responsible, whether it's um, legally or financially, but more importantly, spiritually. They, we just don't want to do this poorly. And so one of the big assumptions is that, well, we have to report because we're trying to protect people. And that's kind of the pushback I hear a lot. It's like, I hear what you're saying, Chris, but we're responsible to protect people. So what I hope to do is kind of lay out why we recommend what we recommend and what that is and what it isn't, and then maybe come back at the end and and respond to that, well, aren't we supposed to protect people? Like, we're responsible to protect people. And hopefully... It'll add some clarity to this topic. So it is true that PeaceWorks, along with a lot of other uh, ministries and approaches and professionals, uh, do not recommend reporting every incident of abuse that's disclosed to you. And and there's a lot of reasons why. So I want to first give you the the times in which we do recommend reporting— uh, first is outside of the context of intimate partner violence. It's important to, to mention 
most of us are mandated reporters when it comes to certain aspects of abuse. And, and it does differ state to state. So you kind of need to know your state, get to know your local agencies like DHHR and CPS to kind of see where those lines and limits and recommendations are. But most of us in ministry positions are mandated reporters when it comes to child abuse, neglect, uh, abuse of the elderly or neglect of the elderly, uh, or people with disabilities. And so what you're hearing there is this idea of agency. So for instance, with child abuse, if, if I receive a disclosure from a man, which I have in the past, where he talks about an incident where he got out of hand and he drug his kid across the room by the hair. That's a moment where I have to remind him of my obligation. And I know I said that very casually. I don't mean it to come off casually. I'm just giving an example. Uh, It is tragic, but it is somewhat, um, I wouldn't say commonplace, but it is common enough in our work that that would be an incident where, you know, we would have a conversation about what's expected. And then I would make a call uh, telling the uh, individuals whom I'm reporting to uh, what I heard, what I witnessed, and they would ask me a series of questions and determine whether or not to open an investigation. Um, But it is my responsibility once I hear that from that individual uh, to report. It's also my responsibility when I hear you know third party inf- information or hearsay to to seek advice um, on what my next steps may be. But when it comes to child abuse, elder abuse, uh, abuse of individual disabilities, the vast majority of us are mandated reporters. It's something that we do. And I think what happens is because we know that, or that's been kind of drilled into us, especially in the area of like childhood sexual assault because we have seen how the church has failed women and children, uh, especially when it comes to this idea of, of, of sexual assault, that we really want to involve the authorities and we want to report. And I applaud that. I actually think that's the right decision. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I would say about half, eh, probably less than half, of the reports I've made have, have seen an open investigation. But when you're diligent in that area, that's part of what you do. And you get to know people and you get to have relationships with people in those, in those spheres. But what about intimate partner violence? What about spouses where there's an individual who has agency? In our case, we're usually talking about the wife. That's where it becomes a little bit more a matter of wisdom and discussion as to whether or not you automatically report. So let me just give you a couple recommendations that we make because in most states, again, there are a couple, but in most states, pastors, ministry leaders are not mandated reporters when they receive a disclosure of uh, domestic violence for good reason. Uh, But let me give you our recommendations and then I'll explain a little bit why, why we make those and why that seems to be best practices among Um, people in the field. Uh, The first is if you witness violence, like you are watering your your plants or mowing your yard and you see your neighbors in an altercation that leads to violence where he's restraining her or pushing her, lording over her, uh, I recommend witnessing violence. Uh, The police should be your first move. The, The greatest means of intervening 
in a physical act of harm is police intervention. Um, at that point, we're not, we're not protecting anyone by having a discussion. We're not promoting safety by following up with them later. When we witness an act of violence, such as uh, a husband harming his wife in the front yard or chasing her out of the house, um, screaming, um, the, or, or perhaps, as I recall a few years ago, we had a, worked with a church where a husband attempted to kidnap his wife at the church house. Um, definitely a time to call law enforcement. So if you witness violence, um, calling law enforcement is one of the best things you can do to promote safety. If you believe that it's an emergency situation, and what I mean by that is you've assessed the risk as you've listened to this story, and as you're receiving this disclosure, you cannot in good conscience um, recommend anything other than immediate separation. Like You feel like if, if this person goes back into the situation, their life and their health and their safety is going to be jeopardized tonight. Like this is an immediate threat to their life. Um, I recommend involving law enforcement. Now, some disagree with me that it is always the, the victim or the individual's decision. And I'm a big proponent of granting agency and power and decision-making to the victim. But if I'm receiving a disclosure following a series of, let's say, strangulations or brandishing of weapons, including threats of homicide or suicide, um, if I'm experiencing or hearing about significant threats mixed with substances, that would be red flags that I would want to press into. What is it going to take? What would it look like to involve law enforcement, to involve the shelter, to seek immediate safety right now? So you want to assess risk. But something else we need to know, like, like that's when I recommend people report right? Get some help because uh, the danger and the risk to someone's health and life. But most of us are not receiving disclosures or like that, or most of us are not witnessing the violence. For most of us, we're receiving disclosures during times of safety, relative safety, as much as, as you can determine safety in these situations. And not all abuse that we're receiving disclosures on is criminal, and that's one of the big things that I think when we rush to report without using wisdom, without empowering victims, without doing safety plans, we can do a great deal of damage. So the scenario would be a uh, counseling appointment. Um, an individual comes in for counseling, begins to disclose ways in which her, her partner, her husband is calling her names and then how he punishes her if she doesn't comply, um, if he does, she doesn't do what he wants. And it seems very wicked, coercive, controlling. But there's been no physical harm. There's been no overt threat. There's very little that law enforcement's going to be able to do. And yet I know that this is abusive. I've heard sexual coercion. I've heard um, intimidation threats, financial manipulation, and I want to do something. And I call the authorities 
and they intervene, and yet nothing that's happened is technically illegal. They offer her uh, a way of escape, a domestic violence protection order or some kind of personal safety order, and um, she refuses, and they leave. And now she's left with an individual who's been escalating his abuse, but now he's aware that she's told someone, that she sought help. It puts her in immense amount of danger. Or perhaps I make the report and the police come and investigate, and they don't offer an emergency order of protection. They don't offer anything. They discover that ah, there's not much that we can do, and they chalk it up as a couple's issue and walk away. That's why reporting incidents of domestic abuse that you're receiving through disclosures can be so dangerous and deadly. Because not all responses, not all abuse is criminal, first of all, and then not all responses are adequate, even if, even if there's criminality from our perspective, right? Remember, we're not law enforcement, we're not judges, we're pastors and ministers. And so we hear of a physical altercation that took place two weeks ago physical restraint, and it scares us, rightfully so. And so we rush ahead and make a report because there was a physical act of violence perpetrated against a a partner, and the police investigate and find that there's nothing that they can charge this guy with. Again, now, we have left her exposed to historically violent and potentially escalating individual that could do greater harm. So what do we do? So you're saying don't report. I'm saying we have to use wisdom. You really want to balance the information that you're sharing, that you've been trusted with. You want to balance who you share that with, when you share that with them, and in what way you protect the victim while that information is being shared. That's all that we're recommending. So what, what do we do? Well, first, we listen Remember, our our first response is not to fix. If there's an immediate threat of safety, if there's a huge risk of danger or possibly loss of life, then we want help intervening. If someone's disclosing patterns of abuse and they're not ready to pursue law enforcement or there's not really much that law enforcement is going to be able to do at this point, reporting, going around the victim to report or coercing the victim ourselves to report may actually put them in more harm's way. So what do we do? We resource. We talk about the benefits of reporting. We offer information connecting them to the proper sources. Do we know the victim liaison for our local police department? Do we know the victim advocate in our community, the shelter worker, Do we know if there is a law enforcement officer, say a deputy sheriff or uh, a member of the municipal police department that works domestic cases, that that's his or her primary responsibility? This is something that we can begin to connect with community resources to help us understand the dynamics at play, not just in domestic abuse, but in reporting. Because as we move forward with a report, uh, we are increasing the risk to the victim. Sometimes the risk is totally worth the reward, safety, 
life-saving measures. Sometimes the risk needs to be mitigated with the time, effort, and planning involved in long-term safety. So what, what do we mean by that? So we determine there are patterns of abuse. We believe what we're hearing. We see those patterns over long periods of time. There doesn't seem to be a high risk of lethality or dangerousness, a, uh, an immediate risk to her safety, and she is not ready to speak to law enforcement. We resource her with the information that she needs to know, and we safety plan. We begin to develop a safety plan for if and when things begin to escalate. Is that something that the pastor should do? Maybe, maybe not. If you're competent in that area, you have, by whatever means of God's grace, developed a skill in that area, then absolutely. But that's a great role for connecting, uh, a great opportunity to connect with individuals in your community and even around the country who are trained advocates. See, an advocate, whether it be through an uh, organization like our friends at Called to Peace or if it's a local advocate uh, in your community, tremendous resources to help safety plan, connect to other resources such as legal aid and law enforcement and community service, services that can help her in a variety of ways. Uh, but advocates are trained to help in these situations. That's why connecting with a good advocate would be a great next step. So it comes back to kind of the beginning. So Chris, we have an obligation to protect. Like it sounds like you're saying do nothing. And I hope you've heard that I'm not saying do nothing. I'm saying don't do everything. Do something. But it doesn't mean you have to do everything. And for some pastors and leaders, that's hard. And I get it. But I want you to just picture something for a moment. What is more difficult? You being prayerfully dependent as a pastor resourcing, helping, serving a victim with long-term goals in mind and having the concern and somewhat of the worry of her being in a potentially dangerous situation or is it more difficult being her living in a potentially dangerous situation, managing the confusion and mystery, determining and choosing what's often one of several bad options. You see, when it becomes about us and our personal liability, our personal comfort, our personal fears, and less about the person in front of us who's actually suffering, we lose sight of, I think, the work that we're doing. I hope that's not too harsh because I love pastors and ministry leaders. And yes, we are called to protect, but I don't think protection looks uh, or smells or seems similar to the coercion that they're experiencing at home. I'm not going to circumvent a victim unless it is an extreme um, last resort. I want to work with the victim. I want to empower the individual. She's already being coerced and controlled and told what to do. I don't want to come in and white knight the situation and say, now you'll listen to me. Now we're going to do this. I have no choice but to this. 
Now I have choices. I have options. I'm not required to report a disclosure of abuse. But I want to use wisdom with what I'm hearing as to whether or not a law enforcement response is going to help us or if it's going to hinder us. And I'm not saying don't involve law enforcement. I'm saying when do we involve law enforcement? Perhaps it's not today. Perhaps after a proper plan and discussion and good safety planning and good safety measures, right? It's next month or it's three months down the road. Or perhaps there's another way of intervention that'll be safer and more realistic and more helpful for her. I hope that's been helpful. I know this is a difficult topic, and I know, pastors, you love your people, and you don't want to see any of your people harmed, and that's why I'm asking us to you know, slow down and use wisdom. Think, get help, build teams, get multiple eyes and minds on the case so that we can make good decisions and good recommendations to empower victims uh, to do the work that, uh, that only they can do. Well, I want to thank you guys again for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast, for being part of our PeaceWorks family. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today on the podcast, would you let the platform know Whatever platform you're listening on, would you rate, review, subscribe, let them know that you value the PeaceWorks podcast. It sure helps us out, and uh, we so appreciate um, the help when it comes to our listeners. Thank you guys again for being part of the podcast, and until next time, God bless.